This morning, uh, we come to the last message to the seventh church, the church at Laodicea. And it's a sad note on which to end, because Jesus has nothing good to say about Laodicea. In fact, uh, Laodicea is a church that um, is, is so lukewarm, so uh, putrid in its taste and stench that Jesus says, uh, I literally want to vomit you out of my mouth. You make me sick. Um, and, and I thought to myself, how sad that Jesus is betrothed to the church. He is the bridegroom, we're the bride of Christ, we are his fiancé, uh, we are committed to him, and yet to be in that kind of relationship and nauseate the bridegroom. What a, what a sad image. But literally, our word emetic, you know what emetic is? Syrup of Ipecac, <laughs> things like that. They induce vomiting. Our word emetic comes from this word, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, the, the, the lukewarm water of the church of Laodicea was so full of sulfur and salts that if you attempted to drink part of it, I'll get to this in a little bit, but if you were to attempt to drink some of the water that came down from the hot springs, by the time it cooled off, it would just literally make you want to throw up. And Jesus said, that's what you do to me. And so, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what is it about a church that would be uh, so sad and so uh, putrid that Jesus could not stomach us. Uh, what is it that made them like that? And as we get into it, I think it's going to come uncomfortably close uh, to where we are in the United States today as the Christian church. Notice what he says in the salutation. He says, the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, now, each time in these letters that Jesus gives a salutation, he is calling attention to some aspect of his character that particularly supports what he has to say to that church. And in Laodicea, um, he is going to say something to them that is shocking. Uh, they have a high opinion of themselves. And he is about to cut the rug out from under them. He is going to bring them low. And what he has to say is, is going to uh, cause them to step back in disbelief. And so he lays his credentials out in the salutation. He says, first of all, I am the Amen. Amen in, in Hebrew culture and uh, in the Old Testament meant, so be it. Absolutely true. Yes, that is the solid fact. Jesus says, I am the Amen to the Word of God. And when God's Word comes, I am the one who underscores it. 
with the yea and amen. I am the one who testifies to the truthfulness of the witness that I am giving. And he says, I am the faithful and the true witness, compounding the amen. He says, I am the one who has run the course. I have been faithful to the cross. I have gone uh, all out in my commitment. I have finished my task. I have died on your behalf. I have been raised from the grave to give you life. I am the one who has been faithful all the way to the end. And I am the true witness. I am speaking the truth to you. I am not lying. This is the word from God that I speak to you. And then he reveals himself as the beginning of the creation of God. And I just want to clarify something here. It's it's a little bit of a parenthesis, but oftentimes we encounter those individuals who challenge the deity of Christ. And sometimes they pull out of context verses like this, and they will say, for example, see, he's the... The first thing God made. He's the beginning of the creation of God. He's the first thing God made. But that's not at all what the word means. The, the Greek word is arche, um, and it has to do with the, the position of prominence or the source of creation. You go back to John's Gospel, same writer, same same message, same truth about Jesus Christ. And John opens his gospel by saying, in beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the, the uh, Greek verb was there is uh, a verb that expresses continuous and ongoing action in the past time. And the way he begins, uh, there's no definite article, not in the beginning, like the beginning of the earth or the beginning of the solar system. But he starts out by saying, in beginning, in any beginning, pick a beginning. You want to talk about the beginning of the planet? You want to talk about the beginning of the universe? You want to talk about the beginning of anything created? In any beginning... The Word was there, always being there. There was never a time when the Word was not there. In beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John goes on to say, The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him. Nothing was made that has been made. Now, how can you be more exclusive than that? Some people want to say, well, he's the exception. There are no exceptions in the syntax of the sentence. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Because he has never been made. He is. He was. He is to come. He is always the same. As the Father, so the Son. Face to face, equal with God in every respect. And in this passage, He reveals Himself as the source of creation. He is the one from whom creation flows. 
He's the originator of creation. He's the primary preeminent one. He stands at the beginning, and He is the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 2, it was Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit to come down upon His church and empower them with spiritual vitality through the mighty outpouring and baptism of the Holy Spirit. And He is the one who has given birth to every believer through His Spirit and to every congregation. And He is the one who will be the creator of the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation. He is the beginning of all of this. So Jesus says to that church in Laodicea, you need to listen to me. I am the Amen. I am the faithful and the true. I am the source of all that is. And what I have to say to you is solemn truth. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Oftentimes, and this dominated the interpretation of this verse, anywhere from 30 or 40 years ago back among the commentators, perhaps there needed to be some more uh, exploration of the archaeology. I don't know what led to that, but the dominant belief among most uh, Bible teachers in the middle of the last century was that Jesus was saying, I either wish you were passionate and hot, or I'd rather you just be clearly away from me and on the outside and cold. But this lukewarm mediocrity, uh, mediocre business, I can't stand. But actually, that is not the case here. That is not what this means. Uh, in fact, Jesus, in speaking to the Laodicean community, to the church in that town, is speaking about something they are very familiar with. There were um, two sources of water in Laodicea. Hierapolis uh, was noted for its hot springs. We have Hot Springs, Arkansas. And you might uh, realize that in the past there were healing places there. And uh, people would go and they would spend time and they would soak in the hot springs and they would uh, look for uh, healing to occur within their bodies. And uh, Hierapolis was known for its hot springs and its healing, uh, I, I want to say sanatorium, that creates uh, images in our minds that are not probably positive. But um, it, it was the kind of place where you could go and you could stay and you could soak in these hot salt uh, uh, springs and it would be purifying, it would be cleansing. And uh, Laodicea had a medical school uh, and it was fairly well known and they had a very famous ophthalmologist uh, in that area that taught and practiced out of the medical school. It's amazing how there's nothing new under the sun, is it? 
Uh, we, it sounds like uh, 21st century stuff. And um, they kind of hoped that uh, they could benefit from these hot springs. And so they would uh, channel the water. They channeled the water from Hierapolis uh, to bring it in and to utilize it uh, for the same purpose. The only problem was it only was hot for a little while at the source. And as it began to flow toward Laodicea, it became lukewarm. And this was the water that uh, filled with the sulfur and with the salt, uh, salt was nauseating. It was an emetic. It just made you sick. You did not want to drink it. And uh, it, it was the kind of thing that you couldn't stomach, quite literally. On the other side of the coin, um, Glossy was further up the mountains... Uh, Laodicea was down in the uh, Lycus Valley, which flowed into the Meander River and eventually uh, ended up uh, in the northern Mediterranean. But, but Laodicea would rely on the cold uh, streams from Colossae to come uh, and bring them drinking water. And they actually uh, created kind of an aqueduct, but it was an open duct that was over five miles long that came at one point down uh, into the river valley. And uh, you know what happens when you go from the mountain into the valley? Uh, it gets hotter, right? I mean, this is pretty common. Uh, if any of you have ever tried uh, hiking uh, the trails down into Grand Canyon, uh, it can be uh, 95 degrees on the top and 125 at the bottom. Uh, we had a, a friend uh, in our congregation a number of years ago um, who uh, hiked that trail down the Grand Canyon. And they have all kinds of uh, warning signs. You know, be sure you have plenty of water. Be sure you're hydrated. Uh, stop and rest frequently, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. You know, many people think that state parks are safe places. They're not safe places. They're just preserved places. They're, they're wild. They're natural. And, uh, and Bob Jackson talked about uh, hiking down and finding a young couple at the bottom uh, in serious trouble. The, the young lady was uh, having a heat stroke. She was in serious trouble. It was about 125 degrees in the floor of the canyon, and uh, they had called for a medical evacuation helicopter, but it did not arrive in time, and she actually died. Uh, it was so hot down there. And so uh, water coming down into a valley, you would think, well, it would stay cool. But if you've got this stone aqueduct running along the side and the sun's beating on it and you're getting lower and lower, guess what happened to that ice-cold water from the mountain streams of Colossae? It was not cold when it got to Laodicea. It also was lukewarm. And so the point Jesus is making is you have two sources of water. You have hot water of healing hot springs, and you have cold water that should be refreshing and rejuvenating. But in your town, you have lukewarm stuff that is nauseating. And he said, you're like that as a church. 
I, I wish that you were like the hot springs that brought healing and, and, and you were on fire and you were passionate. Or like the cold streams from the mountains that were refreshing and rejuvenating and, and sated the thirst and made people uh, rejoice. But you're neither. You're nauseating. You're lukewarm. You, 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 you just... You make me sick. I just can't abide who you are. And they understood what he was talking about. It was a graphic picture for them. And then he explains some of their mediocrity, some of their lukewarmness. He says, because you say I'm rich and I become wealthy and I have need of nothing. You don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Laodicea was a wealthy town. And it was known for its jewels and for its riches. Um, It was known for its gold. It was one of those places that, uh, you know, you just uh, go to certain places uh, in America that are noted for their wealth. I went to school and... West Palm Beach, Florida, my first year, and I worked um, my first year of college at a public supermarket over on the island of Palm Beach. Uh, Palm Beach would not permit publics to build there for the longest time because they did not want to denigrate their community with a grocery store. That was uh, kind of like a, uh, you know, a commoner's sort of uh, convenience. And they would send their uh, servants and their uh, butlers or whatever over to the mainland to to buy groceries. Well, Publix finally persuaded them to let them build a store there, but they had to meet certain criteria. The outside of the supermarket was all made of tile mosaic, and it had uh, archways built into the stonework and beautiful mosaic tiles on the outside. It looked kind of like a library or a museum, and the parking lot was surrounded by shrubbery that was over six feet tall, so that you couldn't see the parking lot, and uh, when it opened, it was kind of fun to work there, because it it had only been open a year or so, and, uh, you know, we were among the first there, and the people of Palm Beach would come to shop, and it was like going to the fair, you know, and, and their chauffeurs would drive them up and they would get out in their tennis wear, you know, or whatever, where they'd uh, been to the clubs and uh, they would come in and go shopping. And that's something they'd never done before. And they would go through the store and then you'd bag their groceries, you know, and it was we were told it was a policy of Publix. You can't linger for a tip. You've got to just bag the groceries, put them in the car, and move on. If somebody gives you one, you can take it, but you can't hang around kind of like this, you know. But it was so cool to take groceries out in Palm Beach because those people tipped. Man, it was amazing. And I would put groceries in antique Jaguars and Bentleys and uh, all of these uh, Rolls Royce, literally, the chauffeurs in the, you know, and 
you'd be putting the groceries in the Rolls Royce, and it was like, wow. Well, that was the kind of community that Laodicea was. And, and they were snobbish. <laughs> they, they thought they were the cat's meow. You know, they, they were it. And furthermore, they were noted for this black wool that they had. Um, it was uh, unique to that region. And uh, even the sheep were rich, I guess. I don't know. Because uh, the wool, when it was uh, groomed and properly uh, harvested, I mean, you don't harvest wool, but whatever you do to it, you shear it, don't you? <laughs> but, uh, but the wool would be spun and it would be glossy. It was like, you know, a $5,000 Armani suit kind of thing. It was just beautiful. And so they had this fine wool that they were very, very proud of. And um, they, uh, they had this famous ophthalmologist who had developed various ointments and treatments for the eyes. And uh, people would come from all over to have their eyes treated with his uh, salves and his ointments that would bring healing to their eyes. And so the church there came from this environment. And they thought they were wealthy and rich and they had everything they needed. And they were living on top of the world and they could do anything they wanted to do for Jesus. And he says, you have no idea that you are wretched and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Shocking. You have nothing. You're worse than nothing. You're naked and you think you're clothed. You're blind and you think you see. You're, you're poor and you think you're wealthy. And you think you've got everything that you could possibly want. And that you're the queen of the churches. And you just turn my stomach. Because you don't know how much you need me. You don't know how much you must rely on me. You don't know how important it is. For you to come to me for everything. Notice what Jesus says as he begins to give them solutions. He says, I advise you to buy from me. Now, Jesus is not saying here that we need to purchase spiritual uh, attributes. You understand that. He's keeping with the metaphor. He's keeping with the illustration. You need to buy from me. First of all, Gold refined by the fire. How do you get gold refined by the fire in spiritual terms? You can you can remelt it, <laughs> and you can get the dry. And what ha, and what do you do when you remelt it? You put it in a crucible, don't you? And you heat it up, and you burn off the dross. How is it that we get gold in our lives? You remelt it. You heat up the crucible. You burn off the dross. 
Jesus said, you need to come to me and you need to let me refine you. You need to let me purify you. You need to let me purge you of the dross. You need to come to me for true wealth. It's not weighed out on a scale. It comes in the heart as you allow me to sanctify you and to make you holy. You need me to do this work in your life. And then he says, you need to get from me white garments so that you can clothe yourselves. You, you think this fine wool you've got and your fancy clothes uh, are the solution to your nakedness. But he says, I still see you as naked. As far as I'm concerned, you are undone in my presence. You need a white robe, not a shiny black one. You need the robe that represents my righteousness. You need the robe that speaks of my justice and my purity and my holiness. That's the robe you need. And you need to let me put it on you. You need to take that robe from me and let me sanctify you and make you something that reflects my character. And you need to come to me and get the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. Because you're blind and you cannot see the truth. And you need to see the way I see. Friends, we need God to give us the eye salve of the Spirit so that we can see. We need discernment. We need to know what is really valuable and what is worthless. That was the problem with this church. They, they did not know what was true value, and what was just trash. They had it all confused. And they had their priorities mixed up. And and they needed to know what was really important. We live in a time today when the church, particularly in America, is wealthier than any church has ever been in the history of the world. I know some of you are thinking about the great cathedrals of the Roman Catholic Church. But in general terms, and, and, I, and I will lump the Roman Catholic Church into the, into the pile, in general terms, evangelical believers have never been as wealthy as they are today. Churches have never been as wealthy as they are today. And yet, where are the miracles? Where are the healings? Where is the mighty evangelism and, and, the, and the dramatic conversions? Why are we not seeing growth within the church of the living Christ that outpaces the natural growth of birth. Did you know that more people are born physically in the United States than are born again? 
And because of that one simple statistic, you can do the math. While natural births are going like this, church rebirths are going like this. And we are declining in percentage of the population. We are not winning people to Christ. Where is our power? Where is our might? I did uh, an interesting search. I looked up the 15 wealthiest pastors in America. And I started in on the wealthiest Christian music artist. And I I finally gave up. But um, here are some interesting statistics. Net worth may include what appears to be ministry-owned. For example, some people, some pastors have homes that are owned by the ministry, like we had a parsonage. But net worth is defined as that which accrues to your name. So when our church owned a parsonage, it did not show up on Paul Martin's tax return as my net worth. It was owned by the church in which I have no financial stake other than getting my paycheck. But if you own the ministry and it's in your name, then if the ministry owns the home, you own the home. It's your net worth. Kenneth Copeland is worth $785 million. Pat Robertson's worth $100 million. Joel Osteen is worth $40 million. Rick Warren and Billy Graham are each worth $25 million. Amy Grant is worth $55 million. And the list goes on. Accumulated net worth. Where have we ever seen this kind of wealth? I'm not questioning motives. I'm not questioning how it's used. I came to Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham, and I have always respected and still respect him. But the reality is, pastors and churches and the Christian music industry in the United States today is wealthy beyond comprehension. I remember Jerry Mapstone, who became our life sponsor, that's our every three-year youth ministry, talking about bringing in Christian music groups to play and have concerts for life. Not for life for life, but for life. And they would send in advance their requirements. They had to fly first class. They had to have penthouse hotel suites. They required a certain kind of bottled water. They demanded certain amenities from the uh, restaurants and and whatever. Uh, They had to eat a certain kind of food. They wanted certain things delivered to their rooms on a daily basis. 
these were their requirements in addition to their fees. What's wrong with us? Jerry said I would go to those meetings sometimes and I would get so sick, I would just say, I don't want any of you. Just get out of my sight. You make me sick. Sound like anyone you know? We live in incredible wealth. But our spiritual power is incredibly lacking. What is the problem? Are we among those whom Jesus says, you think you've got it made. You've got everything going for you. You've got the finest equipment, the most beautiful churches. You've got all the properties. You've got all the capacity to do whatever you want to do. You wear the nicest clothes. And at the end of the day, I want to vomit. Because you have no spiritual power. And yet you go around the world and you look at the church and countries where they meet in secret and they barely eke out a living and they struggle for survival and they glow with the aura of the joy of Jesus Christ. And, and they worship Him with passion and they're willing to die for Him. They couldn't even imagine staying in any hotel, much less requiring certain accommodations. They share Jesus on the streets and among their family and friends, and some of them pay the price of imprisonment and forced labor and their lives to be able to do so. But their ministry is accompanied with power. And people are coming to know Christ. And healings occur. And deliverances are effected. And mighty things result. We're going to show you a little later this summer a video by John Stumbo about his visit to Southeast Asia. And about encountering one of the church planters there, encountering a witch doctor or a Shaman. And what happened? As this man would go from town to town, the, the evangelist, and he would always look for the most uh, opposite of Christ, the, the strongest opponent of the gospel, and he would go right to him and say, Who is more powerful, your God or mine? And God did mighty things, and churches were started. He didn't have any great income, but he had a great source of strength and power. Jesus says at the end of this letter, he says, I'm standing at the door knocking. I'm standing at the door knocking. If any man would hear my voice and open the door and let me in, I will come and restore the intimacy of my fellowship 
That is not a verse of evangelism. It is not a verse intended to share with an unbeliever to allow Christ to come into their life. I know we've all used it and God has blessed it. But if you really look at the context, that invitation is given to mediocre Christians. If you will open the door, I'm knocking. If you'll let me in, I will restore fellowship with you. I will come to you. We'll sit down and have a meal together. We'll visit. We'll become one in heart and spirit again. I will enable you to sit on my throne as I overcame and sat in my Father's throne. That is an invitation to renewal. You know what Paul says in Ephesians? As he prays for them that, that they might know um, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance within the saints and uh, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe which he wrought about, brought about when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realm, far above all authority and principality and power and every name that is named both in heaven and in earth and in the age to come, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, he has raised you up and seated you with him in the heavenly realm. Jesus is saying, I'll restore your power. I'll restore your authority. I'll bring you back to that place of spiritual potency where you can have a dramatic effect if you will listen to me and open your heart and let me in. I'm knocking. I want to revive you. I want to restore you. And the good news of that message is that it's not made to the whole church. It's made to, if anyone, if anyone will hear my voice and open the door. If you're hungry this morning for a renewal and revival in your heart, and you long to have the intimacy of fellowship with Jesus restored, and you want to move back to that position of spiritual authority and power, Jesus says, if you'll let me in, I will come. Open the door. Hear my message. Let uh, him that has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to all the churches. If you'll let me in, I will restore you. I will revive you. I will raise you up. I will bring you back to closeness with me. You've got to have your eyes opened. You need spiritual eye salve. You need to see the truth. But I will do this for you if you will come. I wonder if Jesus isn't also talking to the church at the end of the age. I don't know what it's going to look like. I do know that he said in the Gospels, and when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Is anybody going to be hanging in there? The reality is, is that the church at the very end of the age is going to be so weak and so anemic that 
by comparison, it's going to look like there's hardly any faith. And yet, there will be faith. He will come, and there will be those who are waiting and watching. Will you be with them? Are you hot and healing and restorative? Are you cold and refreshing and satiating? Or are you straddling the fence and living in mediocrity? Neither hot nor cold, but just going along, accepting anemic Christianity as the norm. We have a choice. Jesus offers us an opportunity to make it. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us this morning very clearly. Lord, if we see by the enablement of your Holy Spirit today that we are poor and blind and naked, that we would come to you by the gold, wear the white robe, take the spiritual salve, let you come in and heal us and restore us and raise us up. In Jesus' name, amen.